I'm Anna. And I'm Bethany and we're trying to review every Jane Austen adaptation ever. This is Austen Translation. So I'm a big Austen fan and I've read the books. I love a good period drama in general but I am a particular fan of Austen and her work. And this year I've set myself the challenge of trying to watch every Austen adaptation ever and I've managed to persuade Anna to come along for the ride. And I'm an Austen novice. I listened to the audiobook of Pride and Prejudice when I was a kid. I've seen the two main adaptations of that. I accidentally saw Emma because Parasite was booked out, but I was actually quite into it. This week we watched the 2009 Emma with Johnny Lee Miller and Romala Gary. So this is going to follow a similar format to last week's Mansfield Park where we're going to split it in two as it's four episodes and we'll discuss the first two episodes in this episode and then the next two episodes in the next episode. Part one. I episode a lot. <laughs> so we're going to go through a sort of synopsis while sort of talking about the film we've 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 changed the format we learn and we grow um <laughs> so well first of all first impressions we really enjoyed it didn't we yeah i mean like so overall we loved it it cleared our skin and cured our depression uh <laughs> it directly injected serotonin into our brains we loved it and now we're going to talk about it i'm glad that it i'm also glad that it was a um four-parter i think that worked yeah it was a good amount of parts for four parts six too many in my opinion yeah i think they got it right this time and i think it was the right amount of time and i was invested like I wanted it to carry on after each episode yeah and I mean because when you see things made into films right and they miss out quite a lot of the kind of character depth and nuance and backstory and with this you got just enough of that that you really understood the characters but then it wasn't so long that you were like nothing is happening which is like quite because there's there's a risk with that if you're making a Jane Austen like a mini series because there is so much of like just nothing happening in the books so if you're going to be true to the like actual kind of ratio of things happening to people just talking about things and going to each other's houses um then you're gonna have quite a boring mini series yeah definitely i totally agree um so i'd say the first episode i'd say like the first half of the first episode we do get a lot of that background stuff. I kind of forgotten because I have seen this before, but I'd really forgotten it, and I didn't realize how much you get of them of that backstory. So yeah, it opens with Emma in a baby basket, and then we find out that her mum's died like straight away, and then you kind of see various children in the village. Is it a village where they live? Yeah. So they talk about how Emma's mum's died and then uh how she's staying with her father who is like quite neurotic i don't know if if that's actually sort of mentioned that early on but essentially saying well like yes this was a tragic thing but actually she had a really like quite charmed existence and then it says like but this was not so for uh frank weston who is the child of a guy called Mr. Weston whose wife has died um, and he 
doesn't feel he can look after this kid anymore and so the wife's the dead wife's sister um offers to take little frank and raise him as her own basically because she's rich and she has good connections so frank is basically taken away and there's this scene of like frank waving out of the back of a window of a carriage while it's raining and mr west is so sad part of the deal is that i feel like it's a huge thing is she's like i'll take your kid but he will be known as frank churchill from now yeah so so now he's frank churchill and it's it seems like obviously we find out more about this we never meet this aunt but we find out more about this aunt throughout the rest of the series everyone hates this aunt yeah it's like a brutal thing it's like a, a final nail in the coffin for poor mr weston to take his his son and then be like but he won't be known as your son yeah but then mr weston's really like lovely Mm -hmm. cheerful character and that's like quite a that's kind of the thing that defines his character is just he's really like optimistic and he just keeps hope no matter what happens yeah that is true we also meet jane fairfax so Jane Fairfax's mother is Miss Bates's sister. Yes. Who is a character throughout Emma. So obviously Jane Fairfax's mother dies. And they point out that Miss Bates and her mother, so Jane Fairfax's grandmother, are poor. So they send her away in that kind of a classic Regency Georgian era thing of just some rich friends who are willing to adopt some child and help them. <laughs> Yeah, and that so she's given into the care of her father's former commanding officer, Colonel Campbell. That's who she goes and gets raised by, presumably because they have no income, and now it's just Miss Bates, like looking after the whole family. They don't have the income of Jane's father to care for them, so they're just getting poorer and poorer. And so Jane goes off to the Campbells. The Campbells have got money and connections, so she is raised to be a lady. The thing about Jane is she's destined to become a governess. So they like basically educate her in all of this stuff so that she can like in future become a governess. So she's really accomplished. Yeah, so it's although she's kind of been adopted by these rich people, it's with the view of giving her skill so that she can then Yeah, so she's not she doesn't get to like you know, she's not, she isn't at the level of the, you know, the fine ladies uh, where she's like can marry and do all of this stuff. She is like destined to basically teach other other rich people's children. And yeah. that scene is really like a tragic fate because she's so, she's like so beautiful and accomplished and everyone's like, oh, she needs to be, you know, married off to someone. But then that's not an option, so... Yeah, so it's not the kind of fate of Frank Churchill who is being raised just to be kind of rich and Mm. be part of that gentry. Mm. She's being raised as to kind of be middle class rather than part of the gentry. Yeah. So, and then we kind of also, we meet Miss Bates when Emma's a child as well. And Miss Taylor is, we meet Miss Taylor who is Emma's governess. Yeah, so because Emma's mum died... Uh, Miss Taylor essentially is the mother figure to Emma, but she's, they say she's sort of more like an older sister um, because she's not, she's quite young. And so the relationship between her and Emma is more kind of a close friendship than a kind of mothering thing. Um, And then it sort of, it starts to show Emma growing up 
and and they introduce Mr. Knightley, although I don't really know if they in, like they don't really give the Knightleys a backstory. They're just there. They're just around. Well, they just live nearby. They live nearby. Um, Mr. Knightley, our main man, his brother, also Mr. Knightley, John Knightley. There's always multiple like people with the same surname, and that is how Jane like <laughs> makes things interesting. It's like in Sense and Sensibility with um. Mr. Edward Ferrers and the other one, Mr. George yeah. Ferrers or whatever. <laughs> yes, John Knightley, the older Knightley brother, they they just happen to live nearby within walking distance of where the Woodhouses live. They live in Donwell Abbey, which is actually the big, it's like the the big presiding property over the village of uh, Highbury. Mm. So John Knightley clearly fancies Isabella Woodhouse, who is Emma's older sister, and you can kind of see them flirting in the garden and Emma's like flirting. whiffing each other with leaves yeah it is weird <laughs> they're like chasing around a fountain and it's very bizarre because then we find out that mr john knightley is like this very kind of grumpy guy yeah but we see snippets of isabella is like the one that makes john not be grumpy yeah they're they're like a they're a nice a uh, couple, and so you see them whipping each other with branches outside the window, um, which sounds very violent, but in a playful way. Um, and uh, yeah, and so you see Emma, who's now sort of a young woman, and Mr. Knightley, played by Johnny Lee Miller, hereafter known as JLM. Um, mm-hmm. And they're staring out the window, and Emma's saying, "Ooh, see, I." I I wonder if they have got a thing going on. Maybe they should get married. And uh, JLM's like, uh, Mr. Knightley, rather. George Knightley is like, nah, they'll decide whether they want to or not. But, like, I can't see it happening. And then, like, cuts to them being married. But then George is like, it's a lucky guess. You were just lucky. You don't have a knack for this. He's. It's quite funny because, obviously, you see from very early on that Emma is, I mean, we talk about this more in the star signs, I imagine. She's got a lot of self-confidence and self-belief in what she, she does and how she acts. So she's very much like, yes, I did this. I was right. And, like, George Knightley is constantly trying to, like... He's trying to bring her down to earth and be like, no, you did not... You did not, like, magically think this relationship into existence. If people like each other, then they like each other. And you noticing it does not mean that you've created this situation. And she just smiles smugly back. as if to Because be like, she's okay. right. Because you know what, though? She was right about it, though. Yeah. She was right. This is our entire relationship. <laughs> you are like, right once. And you're like, but I was right. And there are several times throughout this, this story where Emma is wrong. <laughs> yes, she's wrong and then she admits she's wrong, but when she's right, she is actually right. She never admits that she's wrong. I noticed that. She never actually outwardly says it. <laughs> no, but she does She does later on, like at the ball when she's like, oh, I totally misjudged Mr. Elton. You were right about that and I was really stupid. Okay, sorry, I should say she never apologises for when she's done harm, which I did notice. I very explicitly noticed that she never says the word sorry. She doesn't, yeah, she doesn't actually say sorry uh, later on, but that's in that's in part two. So she marries off her sister, and then shortly afterwards, she marries off her governess, Miss Taylor, 
with Mr. Weston. She sees that they are a good match at the wedding and she starts meddling and she gets it so that they end up getting married. But here's a bit where I think she already slightly regrets her meddling because like we said, Miss Taylor was like an older sister to her. So now her sister's got married and is moving out. And then Miss Taylor is getting married and moving out. And that kind of leaves Emma on her own on her own and she's like for the first time in my life something unfortunate other than the other than the death of my mother this is the first time in my life where something unfortunate has happened and actually it's my fault (laughs) and she's like oh I don't know how to deal with this yeah and she's also like oh I may have done something that has irreparable consequences that directly affect me (laughs) and she's like I didn't think and for the first time she's like I didn't really think that through very far I just kind of liked the meddling and now I'm all alone yeah this is unfortunate (laughs) but obviously Emma's Emma she's not alone for long so she kind of visits um miss bates and another random woman who i can't remember the name of mrs goddard so but but i just wanted to go over episode one because we haven't actually got to uh or i've got a few points about this firstly i just wanted to say that johnny lee miller is the narrator at the beginning which is very nice it's very soothing you hear his dulcet tones immediately and you're like i'm safe i'm safe in the arms of jlm and then um i just want to say that michael gambon plays a great Mr. Woodhouse. Yes. He's excellent. I mean, we love Mr. Woodhouse. Mr. Woodhouse is our fave. And we should talk about him, actually, before we move on to anything else, because he's, like, a key character in the story. And he's, like, shown to be very neurotic. He, they're in, he, they, I don't know if they specifically, I think, actually, they do mention this. He's got this thing where he can't imagine that anyone would feel differently to what he does. And so... Like, when Miss Taylor has to move out, he keeps calling her poor Miss Taylor because he thinks that she must be so upset about getting married to this quite wealthy man and moving away from a life of being a governess. And he's like, oh, poor Miss Taylor. He's also very, like, he's a bit of a hypochondriac or he's he's constantly worried about people getting a chill or eating the wrong things. He's very worried about his health all the time. And he's very codependent on Emma. And so he essentially lets Emma sort of run the house. She is kind of the mistress of the house. And so she just gets to do whatever she wants, basically, which is what leads to her just like meddling in everyone's affairs because she's just never been told no. So obviously, I think a key part of why Miss Woodhouse is the way he is is because his wife died so suddenly and that's kind of left him almost traumatised. Yeah, and he doesn't want to abandon his daughters and die, I guess. Yeah, so he's very worried. Like, it's kind of seen not in an irritating way. Like, when the women in Jane Austen are neurotic, it seems irritating and suffocating. Where Mr Woodhouse is very much portrayed as, like, a kindly old man who's just very worried about everyone. Yeah, everyone really, like, is just like, oh, cute little Mr Woodhouse, just being funny. Yeah, and Emma kind of enjoys that role of being mistress of the house, because she's 21 at this point. She's kind of the first, even at this point, the first heroine who is not particularly interested in getting married, because she doesn't need to. She's got money, she's looking after her dad, that's why I think she also enjoys getting and other people married so much as well because she doesn't really have an interest in it herself mm. so she's quite happy to kind of meddle away she's the puppet master she's just like controlling everyone's stuff but she doesn't have to be the puppet yeah exactly and also one thing i'd say that's in emma that perhaps isn't in any of the other adaptations of books that we've 
watched so far is there's very much a community story yes within this town her family uh the woodhouses and then um the knightleys are the most the two most like kind of eminent families in the area and so they kind of they will like lead whatever's happening in like who they give attention to who they um like support will be respected in the community right so emma's kind of like she's got she has this idea of herself as kind of um not a philanthropist but like she's giving her good like at at some point she talks about going to see the poor and it like literally as if her presence being with the poor is going to help them in some way which is doubtful and also because they're like they've got this very specific kind of dynamic that's very like what's the word they've got their own little funny ways of being and because they're they've created this this kind of like subculture within Highbury everyone just accepts that this is the way it is so Mr Woodhouse is everyone just accepts that Mr Woodhouse is going to be this way and Emma's going to be this way and and Mr Knightley will always walk over and visit the Woodhouses and it's just like it just is like kind of works like clockwork for a while. Yeah and one thing is that Emma is the social centre so I think there's a bit where I think it's this episode where there's this family called the Coles who are putting on an event and they're not particularly rich or anything. Emma's like, oh, why would I want to go to that? And she hasn't been invited and it's clear that she's actually upset about not being invited (laughs) because then she finds out Mr Knightley and Miss Bates and everyone else has been invited and she's a bit like, well, they're poor. Why would I want to go there? And then she gets the invitation and she's like, well, I might as well go. (laughs) Yeah, so shortly after Miss Taylor becomes Mrs. Weston, Emma goes, this is in episode one, Emma goes and meets with Miss Bates, Mrs. Goddard, and then the older Mrs. Bates. And they kind of make a a couple of remarks, not meanly, about how different it is to see Emma without Miss Taylor, how much she's very much on her own. And she's kind of, they kind of make a comment of, oh, how you're becoming one of us now, one of us single ladies that meet all the time. And Emma's like, oh. And she sees someone in the background because I think Mrs. Goddard runs a school of some kind. Yeah, she runs a kind of boarding school and she sees this girl in the background who's kind of like quite pretty. Um, Yeah. She's like, who's that? That's the one that I'm going to pick. Um, yeah she essentially picks a project doesn't she she kind of literally sees someone who's quite pretty and clearly got like quite a nice demeanor and is like that's my next person to attach myself to Emma loves a project and that is when we meet Harriet Smith yes and if you watch Clueless say if you don't know Emma and you watch Clueless that is Ty (laughs) yeah so we find out that like about who Harriet is, Mrs. Goddard is is the uh, like schoolmistress, and she says, "Oh yeah, Harriet is um, one of our best boarders. She is the natural daughter, which means she's like the bastard child, <laughs> so to speak. Um, of we don't really know who they've always paid up front." Like, there's never been any problems with money. And so Emma's like, well, she must be the daughter of a gentleman because she just has that appearance and also because there's never been any, you know, problems with money. And essentially Emma just wants 
wants that to be the case because then she can be friends with her and not like wouldn't be weird yeah it kind of suits emma's narrative so that's what she starts saying she's like right i've decided that this woman is part of the gentry with me so clearly the fact that everything's being paid up front means that her parentage is good and worthy of hanging out with me and that's that and all the other women are just like okay (laughs) it's also a classic emma thing to do she kind of decides things for herself and the truth has it's pretty irrelevant. The truth is irrelevant to what's she going on. She creates the truth through yeah. her narrative weaving. She is just the the storyteller of her own story, and there's nothing wrong with that. And when she's doing it to other people's lives, yeah. Um, so she kind of she immediately adopts Harriet. She invites her around, and she's. When she invites her around for the first time, it's kind of for a large dinner. Yeah, and she's like... Harriet doesn't know which knife and fork to use or where to put her napkin. And Emma kind of does everything slowly so that Harriet can copy her. Yeah, she's basically teaching her the ways of the kind of sophisticated gentry. And yeah, she's just basically like, this is my mini-me. Yeah. Um, And Harriet is like, just totally worships her and is just like, you're so amazing. Oh, you're so kind to me. You know, I mean, obviously, because Emma's just like, basically, like, I'm going to fix your life. (laughs) And then we also, so when she's walking with Harriet, she, Harriet bumps into Robert Martin. She spent the summer with the family. (laughs) Robert Martin and Harriet clearly have a thing for each other. Are we going to talk about it? We need to talk about it. we need you know like okay so if you're a family member of mine please skip forward approximately a minute because robert martin has a hog robert martin has oh my goodness so you see robert martin um striding across the field and his dick is just swinging absolutely such a clear outline do you know what i know much by you know when people get measured for suits and they're like which way do you hang and like for most men it's pretty irrelevant kind of thing like it's not robert might need the whole custom fit they need to know which way he's hanging because they need some extra room they need to create an extra pocket because it's swinging, it's just loose. It's just... <laughs> I cannot. I was like, Bethany, did you see that when we first watched it? And she was like, no, I missed it. And I made her go back for Robert Martin's dick. It was, it was, wow. I will never and forget. Still, I think it goes with his old whole image as well. It's this sort of like rustic farmer yeah. guy. Who's yeah. kind of lovely and he fancies Harriet and Harriet fancies him but Emma's like no 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 not for my little mini me yeah like Robert Martin is nowhere near at the level of what Emma deems appropriate she calls him clownish which is so like un like unwarranted he's not clownish he's just he's just a working he's just a working class guy with a big dick He immediately, so we're kind of meeting Robert Martin at a point where Harriet Smith and Robert Martin know each other quite well. And 
Robert wants to propose. This all happens in episode one, which cannot believe. Oh, can I just add before before that because it it just proves that Mister Knightley is on it. He predicts everything and how it's going to turn out before it happens because he's talking to Miss Taylor privately and he's like, I don't think Harriet Smith is going to be a good thing for Emma. Like, I don't think this is going to go well for either of them. And Miss Taylor's like, oh, but, you know, don't you want her to be, you know, to have company? And he's just like, yeah, but she can't just meddle in people's affairs. And then at some point he says that, uh, I think they're talking about Emma's appearance or something. And Miss Taylor's like, oh, well, but she's really pretty, isn't she? And he says something along the lines of, yes, I love to look at her. It's very enjoyable to just look at Emma. Because she's very, like, and that's that's just a little foreshadowing for the fact that you, he fancies Emma. Yeah, and I think also, I mean, I don't know if it's because we know the story, but you do see that care that he has for her that's clearly a, a lot more than a friend. Like, they're clearly a lot more than friends. It's just nothing has happened yet. Mm. But then also he's, like, way older than her. Yeah, but that's not really mentioned in this adaptation. I should it's mentioned out. because they say they they mention that she was a baby when he was sixteen. Or no, they say she says something along the lines of, "Yeah, you've got sixteen years on me in terms of judgment." And when I was a baby, I was a lot obviously not a good judge. But since I've grown up, I feel like we've kind of like become similar in our levels of judgment. True. Also, I should point out that it's, it is taking place when Emma is 21. So she is an adult at this point. So also, one thing I do quite like as well is you see early on in this in this relationship with, between Knightley and Emma is pre- no one really tells Emma what's what. Like, no one ever tells her to stop or if she's been unfair or just to kind of back off. Mr. Knightley is the only one. He is the sole... <laughs> Sort of, yeah. He's the only one policing her behaviour. If if Mr Knightley was not there, the whole of Highbury would be in chaos. This is why I say that you are Mr Knightley. <laughs> <laughs> so, I almost have to rein you in. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> so we were just talking about, well, Emma has the same, the same star signs as me, IMO. But, and we were just like watching this thing and just like looking at the similarities between me and Emma. And Bethany was like, oh, what what character am I in Jane Austen? And we were trying to figure it out. And then there's a bit where they say something along the lines of, Mr. Knightley loves to go to other people's houses and he doesn't like people going to his house. And I was like, oh, my God, Bethany, it's you. You're Mr. <laughs> Knightley. It's, me and Mr. Knightley have the right idea. It means that you can leave when you want to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's why... You are Mr. Knightley. And also because he's the only one that calls Emma out on her shit. <laughs> and refuses to back down. And that's the thing. So it's also quite funny that when they argue, there's never a resolution. Not really. <laughs> like maybe near the end. But not at the beginning when that happens. So shortly after Robert Martin does propose to Harriet and Emma finds out and she's like, she basically manipulates Harriet into turning him down but trying to make out like it was Harriet's idea and that she just helped her write the refusal. Yeah, but Harriet basically is like, make my decisions for me, like, you are so superior to me, like, and Emma's trying to sort of 
not well she's she's trying to stay within technical ethics but also she's like no I know what the right thing for you is yeah it's yeah she just manipulates Harry into kind of rejecting him which is a bad we know this is bad and it's made clear that this is bad because Harriet doesn't have authenticated parentage so she's got no money or heritage or means or whatever so this would have been a good match for Harriet normally but for Emma who's created this narrative where she's she's her equal Emma's like Robert Martin isn't good enough and Mr Knightley finds out and he is fuming well yeah because well he says he said he goes to Emma's house right and he's like oh I've got some news for you that I think you'll be excited about and she's like what and he's like well Robert Martin came to see me and he asked me if uh what I thought about him proposing to your friend Harriet and Emma's like what makes you think that I didn't know that already and he's like well I assume that he was gonna say it straight away but maybe Harriet hasn't told you yet and she's like no Harriet's refused him he's obviously not good enough for her and Mr Lightley's like what the fuck (laughs) yeah like Mr Knightley as well like one thing that is a bit dodgy about their relationship is he's very much like treats her like a child sometimes yeah well to be fair he literally watched her be a child yeah well he is like Emma you don't understand what you've done she doesn't he kind of acts as if she's like oh my god like what what have you done like because Harriet, yeah, like, it would have been a good match for Harriet and Robert and it would have been perfectly fine for their both um, status and society. But Emma's, and he's just like, you're not going to find a better one for Harriet. Like, that's not going to happen. And Emma's like, well, you know, I've been, I think this is where she mentions that she's been thinking of Mr. Elton, who is also yes, vicar, isn't he? He's a vicar. One, one on the bingo card. So he's another one of their kind of friend circle in Highbury, and she's just like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna set her up with Mr. Elton, and, and this is where Mr. Knightley is like, Are you insane? Mr. Elton has money. He knows he's attractive. He knows he can get better. He's not gonna go for Harriet. And she's just like, Oh, you're so stupid. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, and um, that when they're having this argument, they're. Uh, Emma is just walking around arranging flowers in her house so she's like it's so great it's such a classic it's so Virgo of her which is like arguing while flower arranging and they're getting really heated and moving from room to room and he's following her around and she's just like adjusting the rows and sticking things in vases and things and it's hilarious yeah, and it also seems to wind Mr. Knightley up a bit. She, like, shrugs at one point when he's like, do you realise what you've done? Or, like, oh, you know, you've you've totally fucked this up. And she sort of does a shrug. <laughs> Her inability to see it from his perspective, even as a viewer, is frustrating, isn't but it? But also she's kind of enjoying the argument, I think. She's, like, got a little, like, smug face on and she's like, ha will make you really mad yeah she sees it and I think that's part of what infuriates Mr Knightley as well because he kind of sees that she's not taking it seriously yeah she doesn't think that this is a big deal she thinks this is Mr Knightley being Mr Knightley and getting annoyed and she's just like ha 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 I've wound you up again and he's like no you don't understand what you've done (laughs) and then he kind of storms off and then like you see this look of shock on her face 
where she's like, oh, he's actually mad at me. <laughs> yeah, and then she tries to, like, make up with him, and he's like, no, I'm not having this, I'm going. Yeah, he walks off, and then he turns around and comes back, and she thinks that's him being like, I'm done now, and she's like, oh, yeah, we're friends again, and he's like, no, we're not, I, I need to stick the knife in one more time before I leave. <laughs> yeah, well, because it's like a well-actually moment. They both have well-actually moments, because Emma's like, we clearly don't agree with this, so we should stop talking about it, and then she's like, well, actually, another thing. <laughs> And she, and then and then Mr Knightley does it where he literally walks away and then he's like, well, actually. And then, yeah, he storms off home. And it's also quite, it's mentioned quite a lot that Mr Knightley walks between his house and Emma's house like quite a few times during the day. Yeah, he loves, he, I mean, like, that. if we were to do an Emma bingo card, like, there would have to be a scene where, or like a, an Emma drinking game where you'd have a scene you'd take a drink every time you see Mr. Knightley just walking somewhere or on a horse, just enjoying the joys of nature. Because <laughs> that's just like so many kind of interim scenes are just Mr. Knightley having a nice walk. And usually oh, yeah. he's like smiling, like he's seeing Emma through the window and he's doing a big smile and he's waving his hands up. It's so cute. Also, Johnny Lee Miller has such a recognisable walk. He, he's such a, what I really like they do with his character as well, is so Mr Knightley's quite serious, but then he's also up for a joke. Yeah, and that, I think that is like true to Mr Knightley's character, because he's very like amiable, he's he's very kind and like, yeah, he 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 gets a joke, he's willing to like, yeah, make a joke about Emma or himself, like he's he's got a sense of humour. And also at this point, I'm pretty sure, because obviously all the marriages, time passes in between them. So for Miss Taylor's marriage and Isabel Knightley, uh, Woodhouse's marriage, um, Isabel, Emma's sister, has a bunch of kids. <laughs> yeah. And you kind of, you get a lot of inter because obviously... There's a lot of children uh, going, Uncle George, Uncle George! Yeah, and he's and he's really good fun with them. He's good with kids. There's a lot of like him holding babies, um, and like playing with dogs, which is just like Mr. Knightley. Knightley is a nice man. Yeah, he's just he's just one of those people that seems enjoyable to be around. And this is what we were saying when we were watching it because we are both in love with JLM, and I was like, it's his vibe. It's just the vibe. It's not even the aesthetic. You know, like he's not. To me, that attractive physically, but it's the vibe, man. <laughs> and also, JLM is like that in most of the things he's in. So I think it's I think JLM and Mister Knightley are very similar personalities. <laughs> that may well be, but then also I think he just like yeah, there are certain like I was saying the first time I saw um, him in anything was Train Spotting. It's a very different. You can still tell that it's JLM because he has his little kind of like intonations and his little um kind of the ways that he holds himself and stuff. But it's very different to something like Elementary or or Emma here, which is like there is he he's kind of JLM playing JLM, but just a little bit different. Yeah. It's just different flavours of JLM. <laughs> the many flavours of JLM. <laughs> What was I going to say? Also, we we forgot to mention in the last episode, 
JLM actually appears as a small child in Mansfield Park 1983. He does. He's like, and then also later on, he, well, in another adaptation of Mansfield Park, he plays Edmund. He just gets around the Austin adaptation. Well, they just seem to be, like, they just interchange between people because also the guy that plays Miss Elton in this plays in the Mansfield Park adaptation with Billy Piper. The guy that plays Mr. Elton in this is Edmund in that. Yeah, so that yeah, the actors that we the more we watch, we more we realise there's like a circle of Austin actors. Yeah, and I feel like it's like it develops through the ages because the Autumn to World twenty twenty version of Emma has got Johnny Flynn in. And I've seen him in a lot of different period drama adaptations as well there's like a certain set of actors like at the time it was people like Johnny Lee Miller and like Hugh Grant yeah yeah before that it was like yeah Alan Rickman Emma Thompson those kind of people and then it kind of Johnny Lee Miller and then it's now evolving into a new group of people and you do notice it even so like Downton Abbey I was watching another show Inspector George Jenny and there's so many Downton Abbey actors in that and like that is set in the 60s and Downton Abbey is set in like the early 1900s, like 1920s. But I was like, it's that period nature of it. Yeah, I think it's some, it's some actors are just like made to do period pieces. Dan Stevens, I'm very looking forward to Dan Stevens in Sense and Sensibility because I love him. <laughs> but I think that after the little row, is that when episode one ends? Yeah, so, well, and we... I don't know if this has happened yet, but there's the... I don't know whether this happens in the end of episode mm-hmm. one or the beginning of episode two, but there's the painting um, with... So her and Harriet, mm-hmm. Emma and Harriet, are, like, outside doing paintings of the garden. And Mr. Elton... Mr. Elton is a really creepy-looking guy. He's got these eyebrows. His eyebrows constantly look like, you know, when in the late... 2015 to 18 boys used to do that pose where they'd sort of scrunch their eyebrows up in the middle of their forehead and sort of raise them and look really concerned um that is like Mr Elton's facial expression always and he also has a he like puts on this really kind of creepy soft voice in this one as well but anyway he's like hanging around Harriet and Emma and like being really effusive in his compliments of their paintings even though Harriet's is shit Um, and so because Emma's decided in her narrative that Mr Elton is in love with Harriet because she wants to set them up she's like oh he he compliments her painting even though it's bad so he really must be in love with her even though he's like creepily close to Emma the whole time yeah but she just does she just conveniently doesn't notice that and then she's like, oh, do you know what? You need a painting of Harriet. And he's like, yeah, totally. Well, because because importantly, she says, what if I did a painting of Harriet? Thinking that the important thing there was that Harriet was the subject, when actually we find out the important thing is that Emma is the painter. Although I would say Emma perhaps is in the right there. If you were expecting a painting of something, Oh, actually, yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I, either way, I mean, he had a chance and he took it. So presumably he was like, along with the other context clues I've been giving, which are actually very obvious, maybe this person will recognise that I like them and therefore the painting is important to me because they did it. 
But because Emma is not in that... Yeah, it doesn't fit Emma's narrative. So in her head, it's, oh, this painting of Harriet will be because he, he fancies her and this just fits my narrative. Also, then we cut to Emma painting Harriet. And for some reason, she's made Harriet hold of this clay pot high above her head. She's being like a Greek goddess or something. Yeah, and it just looks so incredibly uncomfortable, which it's supposed to. Like, that is how it is. I was just like, this This is such an Emma thing to do, to be like, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to do a Greek painting, and you're going to be holding this pot, and it's going to be absolutely amazing. And then poor Harriet's just, like, standing there, like... Yeah, and Mr. Elton's like, don't move, don't move, don't move a muscle. She needs to, you know, you need to give her time to, like... <laughs> you can just see her, like, arm twitching. And she's like, oh, God. <laughs> but then you also see her steal a pencil that Mr. Elton has used and slip it into her hand. Yeah, that's so weird. Well, this is like if you if you know Clueless and you don't know Emma, this is the bit where like later on when Ty burns all of the stuff that she's got from Elton. This is that essentially. She's taking yeah. little kind of trophies of Mr. Elton because she loves him. <laughs> well, because Emma's convinced her that she loves. Him. Yeah, because Harriet is so just malleable. She's literally yeah. like, and this is going to go into my my star sign theories later for Harriet, but I think she's a Libra because she's immediately like, she just wants everyone else to make her decisions for her. And then if you offer her two choices, she's totally like, I cannot. Robert Martin, she just fluctuates constantly between liking Robert Martin and liking Mr. Elton and then liking Robert Martin again. And then like Mr. Elton gets married and she's like, oh, I'll never be with Mr. Elton. No, not Mr. Elton. Well, she's she's like, I don't like Mr. Elton. Like, and I would never be with Robert Martin, you know. You've definitely convinced me out of that. Then she falls in love with someone else, who we'll talk about later. And then, all of a sudden, no prompting. She just marries Robert Martin. She's a Libra. Yeah, like, that is... I kind of thought that as well, because obviously in Clueless, which is a modern adaptation, you kind of do see that Ty still fancies Travis. Hmm. so I think in Clueless they gave time more agency than Harriet has because yeah she kind of is like she does like Robert Martin in the beginning like that bit is clear so that is the first person she's liked of her own kind of free will and then Elton's kind of shoved on her and like yeah because she's convinced easily convinced by Emma she's just like oh I'm in love with Mr Elton and I think she does kind of do does get infatuated by him because she does struggle later on when it doesn't work out. Yeah, no, for sure. She is like totally infatuated with Mr. Elton. But we should move on to episode two, which I think that does happen maybe at the beginning or the end of episode one. But that mm. kind of leads us on to the next thing where we also then French Churchill starts getting disgust. He doesn't appear yet. But he keeps meaning to visit and then he's not able to come. And this is like a huge thing because it kind of ramps up Emma's interest in him. Hmm. Also, she links herself, Jane Fairfax and Frank Churchill together because they all lost their mothers when they were children. Hmm. So she feels like a kinship with them all, doesn't she? She kind of feels like a connection. Yeah, she says something along the lines of like, that we have some kind of like fated connection we're all lost children just trying to get home or something which is definitely not in the book that's just a weird thing they added yeah I think they're trying to hammer home 
that maybe Emma is the way she is because she doesn't have a mother <laughs> mm. <laughs> or something like that. But like she's she's living quite a charmed life still. So she's definitely fared the best out of all three of them. Yeah, they're of the same generation, I guess, but they've all become like because they've all left uh Highbury and she's stayed, it's like very intriguing to her. She like kinda wants to see how they've turned out. And it's a massive thing that Emma's never left Highbury as well, like not even for a day. Yeah. So she doesn't she, she's literally never left Highbury. So she doesn't go, she, she shops in the village. When her sister gets married to John Knightley, she moves down to London. Emma never visits them. Yeah, she's basically inside this bubble that she's created for herself. And it is partly to do with her father, though, as well. He wouldn't like her to leave. And yeah. she's kind of, oh, well, he doesn't want me to leave, so I just won't leave because I have a good life there. She has no need to leave or see anything else. And everyone she loves is nearby apart from her sister, but then they kind of come back and visit regularly. Yeah, they come to her, so there's no point in her going to them. Yeah. There's no compromise there. She doesn't... Emma, as a character, doesn't like to compromise. She rarely does compromise because she's not ever been forced to, apart from with Mr Knightley. But I would also say it's the one thing that puts Emma on the back foot because she has never left Highbury. And she is a bit self-conscious about it. Mm. She is aware that she doesn't know as much as the other people who have left. Yeah. And she's just like... And that's the other thing, like, she says about she hates Jane Fairfax. Because she, she'll go, like, we, she goes to visit the Bates in uh, the Bateses in the village, right? And Mrs. Bates, the point uh, we, we haven't made yet is that Mrs. Bates just talks and talks and talks and talks. And, like, just going on and on and on about the most boring things, right? And so Emma, like, doesn't really want to go visit them but she feels like it's her duty to go and then whenever she goes Miss Bates whenever she gets a letter from Jane Fairfax she insists on reading it out to Emma or whoever is just passing by because she's so proud of Jane Fairfax and Emma hates this because Jane Fairfax is so accomplished that she's almost like the only kind of woman in Highbury that is kind of of a similar like level as her in terms of like beauty and also accomplishment like Emma knows that Jane Fairfax is way better at piano than her and Emma doesn't read as much as she perhaps should so like that is a thing that I think is actually actually brought up quite a lot that Emma is rich so she doesn't need to be accomplished in the traditional way she doesn't need to be well read and play the piano and all of these things because she's just so rich it doesn't matter yeah she kind of gets to opt out of the like the role of a regency woman or like a a regency rich woman anyway that we mostly see in Jane Austen books which is like you have to find a husband Emma's like I have no need to find a husband I'm just gonna stay the way that I am forever yeah and she's has no interest in it either she much enjoys socializing and that aspect and has absolutely no interest in becoming good at the piano forte <laughs> yeah well she forges her own path she's if she's she's not willing to compromise and therefore she's like i'm gonna do it my way we then they decide a christmas party that's the cole's christmas party oh right okay i just wanted to say one more thing about um Mr. Elton is that her 
Emma and Harriet create a scrapbook of romantic riddles, as you do. <laughs> and then Mr. Elton writes a romantic poem slash riddle to give to Emma. And Emma takes it and is like, I'll pass this on to Harriet. And he's like, mm, there's no need for that. And she's like, no, I will. I will. And then she goes and reads it out to Harriet. And it's something, the riddle basically essentially spells out courtship. And so Emma's like, oh, that's for you. He's trying to court you. When obviously it's for Emma. I mean, I don't know how obvious it is because we already know, but like, yeah. I mean, he gives it to her, so. Yeah, and he's quite clear. He's quite clear about his kind of, yeah, the, the vibe he's given off in giving her that. And then there's the Christmas party. We saw Emma be a bit upset about not getting her invitation and then she's like, oh, okay, I'll go. Frank Churchill is expected to come to this party but last minute can't. So we still haven't met grown-up Frank yet. So this is just kind of increasing Emma's interest in him. Yeah, he's a very mysterious figure and we we hear that like he's not visiting because his aunt won't let him for whatever reason and it will be to do with like he'll want he'll plan to go and then his aunt's health will be bad and he'll have to go back or like stay with her. So there's just this whole thing there's a kind of like mystique around him, which means that everyone in the village yeah. is like, ooh, Frank Churchill. And it kind of comes across as like the art is quite controlling and poor Mr. Weston never gets to see his son because of this. Yeah, Mr. Knightley just hates, even though he's never met him, Mr. Knightley really doesn't like Frank Churchill. He's like, he's being really, like, he has his duties and if he wanted to, he would come and visit his dad. But clearly that's not his priority. So. I don't like him. And then we get the Christmas party, which is, like, quite fun. And it's, like, a quite nice little... Is this the one where they're worried about snow? I think so, yes. There's also the baby scene. Yeah, so at this point, Emma's sister and John Knightley and their brood of children have come up for Christmas. So they're also going to the party. That is like that whole dynamic is quite interesting because you see John Knightley interact with Emma and he's very much like his brother where Emma can't manipulate him. He's very like he's just very straightforward and he just says what he's thinking, but he's like less he he's less polite than Mr. Knightley. So when they arrive at the party, Emma and Mr. Knightley, George Knightley have a row because he's arrived on a horse and she's like a gentleman doesn't arrive on a horse. He arrives in a carriage. I can't walk in with you. And, like, they have this, like, debate and Mr Knight just thinks it's hilarious and brushes her off and it's just like, well, I have a horse because that means I can leave when I want to leave. So you. <laughs> then he's... Harriet can't come to the party because she's got cold, which is a big thing. Yeah. But Mr Elton's there. Yeah, and Mr Elton is kind of waiting around. And then he said, and then Emma says to Mr. Elton, she's like, oh, are you really sad that Harriet can't come? And he's just like, uh, not really, and then moves next to her. And she's just like a bit confused. And John Knightley is finding the whole thing hilarious. You can see that Emma is trying to set up Harriet and Elton, and he can see that Elton fancies Emma. Well, yeah, because El- he like, El- Mr. Elton's like, oh, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to get home. And then it's like, 
awkward silence. And then John Knightley's like, oh, I guess you can use our carriage. And Mr. Elton's like, that would be so great. And Emma's like, why did you do that? And Mr. John Knightley's like, well, clearly you were encouraging him so much that I couldn't really do anything else. And Emma's like, I'm not encouraging him. What are you on about? And then he's like, well, he clearly fancies you. And Emma's like, no, he doesn't. And then they get in the carriage alone and he's a massive creeper. Yeah, oh, before that, though, firstly... Isabella and John Knightley bring their new baby and Mr Knightley is like holding the baby oh no Emma's holding the baby and Mr Knightley comes in and they're like bonding over the baby they're basically like uh, making up over the baby because they're still ang- they're still mad about the Harriet situation with Robert Martin and then they sort of make up even though Emma's just like well, yeah but I was actually sort of right anyway wasn't I but anyway I hope Mr Martin isn't too devastated and Mr Knightley's like yeah he is very devastated sorry and then John Knightley I just find this bit hilarious he's like oh I bet it's gonna snow later and Mr Woodhouse is like oh my god it better not snow like I will die I will literally die if it snows and and then it does start snowing and Mr John Knightley's like ha I told you it was gonna snow suckers now we're all gonna get stuck like everyone else is quite sensitive to Mr Woodhouse's like anxiety and then John will just say something that he knows is gonna set Mr Woodhouse up and he just kind of then sits back and he just doesn't give a shit yeah sorry when they leave the coal so when they leave the coal's Christmas party um something to do with the carriages it ends up with Emma and Mr Elton traveling alone in a carriage John Knightley has also instigated this. But one of the things that then happens is he's a massive creeper to Emma and she finally has to face the fact. He's so sweaty. He's so sweaty. And she has to face the fact that he fancies her and also he's creepy about it. Like, he's not aware of her personal space and she keeps calling him no and he's just like, oh my God. He basically he's like, oh yeah, no, I'm sure this is just like the thing that women do where they like pretend that they don't return your affection. So, like, yeah, I'll carry on. I know this is the way it goes. And Emma's like, no, no. And he's very forward for that era as well. Like, he's grabbing her hand. Yeah. And and then she she just loses it at him. She's like, you forget yourself. Get away from me. Yeah, and then she's like, but I thought you liked Harriet. And he was like, ugh, Harriet. I don't give a shit about Harriet apart from like the fact that she's your friend. And then she's really mad at him. And then they're both just really angry in the carriage. And also then Emma has to tell Harriet. Yeah, she's like, oh God, this is the worst. And like Harriet takes it badly. She's like hysterically crying. (laughs) So yeah, then later on, Jane arrives. And it's a big thing in the village. And Emma is nervous. Like you can tell that she's nervous about this. Because Jane is very accomplished, she's very she's known to be quite pretty, and it's basically like competition for her, isn't it? Like Emma's the most likable one. Yeah, and she's like, oh god, hate Jane Fairfax so much. She starts ranting about her. There's like a few good times where Emma just starts ranting. She gets really irate about shit, and people just stand next to her and allow her to go on. And it's just, <laughs> it's very. I mean, it's very me. And um, she goes to meet her straight away. Like she goes to visit Miss Bates, which is something that she does every week. And I think Emma sees it as like part of her like service of being like, I'm so nice because I go visit Miss Bates even though she's annoying. 
Jane is just there as well. Like we don't. I don't think she actually finds out that Jane Fairfax has arrived until she's gone to visit the base, and they're like, "Oh, here's um, uh, here's Jane Fairfax. She's just arrived." Oh yeah, and then she goes up. You are right. Yeah, she goes up, and um, she she's a bit excited, isn't she? She's like, "Oh, um, what's happened?" And it's quite funny because it turns out Jane Fairfax is nothing like her aunt, Miss Bates. So Miss Bates is just going on, and every time Emma asks Jane a question, Miss Bates answers. Yeah, she wants to read out Jane's letters, and Jane's like, there is no need, I am literally here. You don't need to read my letter. And she's like, oh, okay. Yeah, and then she kind of seems really hurt by it, and I'm like... And um, it's just quite interesting because obviously that makes Jane very likeable. Like she's very much one of them. Yeah, but she also is seen as a lot more reserved than Emma, and this is something that like Emma sees as something like unlikable about her is that she isn't really. She doesn't say a lot. She she doesn't like give a lot of information out. She just basically speaks when necessary. Yeah, so that's that's kind of like something that Emma sees as a flaw in her. Yeah, especially as Emma is super forward all yeah. of the time. So she doesn't hold back ever. And that's also kind of seen a, like amongst some people who we'll meet later on as a flaw against Emma because mm. she just doesn't care. Uh, also, shortly after Jane arrives, someone sends a massive piano but before that actually um frank churchill turns up he comes home so they find out yeah that there's they get a letter mr weston gets a letter saying that frank churchill can finally visit the day before actually or like a couple of days before they emma and harriet had been in the woods and they bumped into this random man on a horse uh, and then he they were like can we help you with anything and he's like no i'm fine I know where I'm going, and then he like rides off, uh, and then it. W- then Frank Churchill arrives, and it turns out that, that man was Frank Churchill, and Emma yeah. doesn't reveal that that she saw him to to Mister Weston, and he's like, "Oh yeah, like I realized that if I had visited that day, then I would just not have been able to stay long enough for it to be even worth it, or like it would have seemed rude because I would have had to leave so soon." And she's like, "Okay." They kind of immediately hit off Frank yeah. and Emma. Well, they're very much the same person, I think. They're yeah, they're quite like irreverent in some ways. They kind of like chat shit about people and like laugh about it together. He kind of encourages all of Emma's bad qualities. Yeah, he does. He kind of yeah, he will he will kind of like encourage her to do to to be mean about people or they're kind of cliquey. They kind of form their own little kind of club. Also because there's a letter where Jane talks about how she was walking with the people that she's living with and she almost fell off a cliff. And the fiancé of the daughter of who she's living with saved her. And then Frank and Emma make it into a much bigger deal yeah emma asks frank about this because frank says oh i met i met jane fairfax when i was in somewhere before like they've known each other from before and emma asks about the whole saving her life thing and he was like oh yes they were standing very close to each other like he implies stuff about 
which would obviously be damaging to Jane's reputation. And then we also learn about Frank that he goes to London to get his hair cut. And everyone's like, why, why? Did you go mm-hmm. to London to get your hair cut, Frank? That is ridiculous. Kind of, Emma wants to go and do something and and he's just like, oh, I can't. I'm getting my hair cut. Which is such a fuckboy move, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mr. Knightley hates... I don't know if he says in, in the actual uh, series, but Mr. Knightley is like, that's so ridiculous. I hate him so much. Oh, no, he says it. when When he comes back, Mr. Knightley's like, it's a nice haircut, but I wouldn't have gone to London for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then after that, the, the mysterious piano forte is delivered to Jane Fairfax. And there's a rumour flying around that it was Mr. Knightley, and that gets Emma's back up immediately. And she kind of goes round there to to see see the piano, and she's like, oh, my God, who, who could have given it? to Jane she's like oh my god has he actually because Jane is so accomplished suddenly Emma feels really insecure about her and she suddenly feels like wait I'm not the best woman in the village (laughs) I need to kind of assert some authority here and then it turns out Mr Knightley hasn't sent the piano but that's like the first time you kind of see Emma feel insecure about the whole thing So that's the first time that we kind of see Emma quite insecure in her relationship with Mr Knightley, don't you think? Yeah, because there's all this, like, discussion around who sent the pianoforte and and people were saying, oh, I think it's Colonel Campbell, who is the the guy that she, the head of the family that she was staying with. Um, But then there was also, like, oh, what if it's, um, I don't know if they say, is it Mr Dixon, who is the, the guy that saved her life, who is like the fiance of her friend. Well, it's, it's said when she's looking at the piano, and then Mr. Knightley arrives, and you yeah. watching to see if it was him that sent it. Yeah, because he really like it's clear that he likes Jane Fairfax. He's always telling Emma to be nicer to her, slash about her, and he obviously really admires her talents. He really enjoys her like playing piano, and so she's like, "Oh, maybe, maybe Mr. Knightley sent it." And Emma's like, well, "I think Miss Taylor says this because Miss Taylor ships Jane Fairfax and Mr. Knightley." She kind of starts bringing this into conversation with Emma, and Emma's like, "No, I don't see it. No, he definitely like, would yeah. never do that." <laughs> I just, I just can't see it myself. Just can't see it. She, she pretends that she's concerned about her, her nephew Henry who is the son of Isabella and, and Mr. John Knightley, because he would he would inherit Donwell Abbey when uh, Mr. George Knightley dies. So he she's like, oh, no, Mr. Knightley can never marry because then Henry wouldn't inherit. That is not okay. I am very concerned about Henry. Yeah, and, like, Isabel... Isabella and John Knightley are obviously like quite well off themselves. It's not going to be an issue. Yeah. So, yeah, so that kind of brings us to the end of episode two. And we'll be back next week with the recap of three and four. And we'll talk more about the star signs and all of that jazz. So make sure you tune in next week because that's when the juicy star sign stuff will be. Episode, 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 episode. 
bring a <laughs> That's all from us for now. We'll be back next week discussing the second half of the 2009 Emma miniseries. We'll be focusing on episodes 3 and 4. Please don't forget to review it 5 stars if your app allows and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to get in touch, please email us at austintranslationpod at gmail.com or austin underscore translation underscore pod on Instagram. We bid you adieu.